Welcome to Solutions for Higher Education, a podcast by Scott L. Wyatt, President of Southern Utah University in Cedar City, Utah. To subscribe to this podcast, please visit www.suu.edu forward slash President's Podcast, where you will find both the audio and a written transcript for today's podcast. Hi again, everyone, and welcome to Solutions for Higher Education, a podcast featuring Scott L. Wyatt, the president of Southern Utah University in Cedar City, Utah. I'm your host, Steve Meredith, and I'm joined in studio today, as I always am, by President Wyatt. Scott, it's nice to be back in the old podcast saddle again. It is. That's right. We had the book club over the summer, but we haven't done any of these great topic podcasts since yep. last spring. Yep. And I've missed it. It's just this is something that uh, I enjoy doing. So I'm glad we're here. Well, we are, uh, as we join together today, we are at the beginning of uh, fall semester at SUU and perhaps a fall semester unlike any other at SUU, or at least since 1918 um, at, at SUU. Um, and we're not really going to spend a great deal of time talking about COVID-19 because it's what everybody is living and every university is taking the tactics that they are. But but you and I are here and uh, and our students are largely here and we're awfully glad to have them back. Yeah, it is great to see everyone back. And, and uh, COVID-19 has some application for what we're going to spend the year talking about. Yeah, it does. It, that's right, it does. It's a, it's a disruptor. Yeah. And disruptions always lead an organization or a person into being better or worse at the end of the disruption. So that's, and um, the approach that we've tried to take as a university is, is we are going to be better at the end of this pandemic. Um, but we know a lot of schools will be worse, actually. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a challenging time. I um, I have been impressed at how much work, just as a cabinet member, how much work everybody on the cabinet has had to do virtually all summer long. None more than you, of course. Well, and uh, well, some have worked every bit as hard or harder. And the committees, um, yep. across campus, all the way across campus, faculty senate, student staff association. So we we. As, as we kick off the year, we, we would be remiss if we didn't pause and say thanks to everyone who has worked so hard this summer to make sure that the campus was ready for our students to come back and that we had the necessary health and safety nets in place. And um, so we're awfully glad. We're awful glad to be here, and we're awful grateful for everybody that helped us get here. And so far, it's going exceptionally well, better than expected. If I didn't have a plastic tabletop, I would knock on wood. Uh, but yes, yeah, so far, <laughs> so far, so far, so expected. good. Yep. So um, you mentioned a topic for the year, and uh, we don't. We usually work in slightly smaller chunks than that, but I'm excited for this because this year we are we're going to talk about uh, how the sausage of innovation gets made. Right? We're going <laughs> to we're going to talk about innovation. In, in all of its positive and occasionally uh, less than positive outcomes. Yeah, so we'll take the whole year 
um, we'll have a mixture of things that flow into it. But for the most part, our theme for this year is innovation, and it's going to be lessons learned. And as uh, as we were getting ready to go online, this this is not um, a, a year that was designed by the PR department. This is a year designed by a couple uh, old guys um, who who've had opportunities to be uh, creative here and in prior organizations. And so we're going to look at all of the innovations that um, we're seeing, and we're going to try to analyze them. What are the missteps? What went well? What, uh, what could we have done better? Hopefully this will um, bring about some really productive discussion. And uh, Steve, we're going to be a little vulnerable with this yeah. too. So. Well, as we were talking about this, we we mentioned that that um, so often really new and innovative ideas are trumpeted as they should be, and we hear all about them, but we don't hear two years later that that company folded or that um, there was mm-hmm. a, a, some negative side effect or whatever it was. the The follow up is lacking, and so. That's part of what we're going to be trying to do here is we're trying to to follow up on some of the things that we've been involved in and and some that others have been involved in and other partnerships and things like that to see how after the rubber has now hit the road to see how they're functioning and if they are doing what they propose to do. And you're right. Some of that is going to leave us a little bit vulnerable to uh, criticism, either from self or from uh, from others. Yeah. It's interesting to read a to read a business management book that says the following five companies are amazing and then five years later one of them has gone bankrupt or another one has been merged into somebody else or they've sold it and then the pieces were divided out. So hopefully we'll talk about some new innovations um, or innovations at least that we haven't discussed and uh, and as you said follow up on some other ones and take a little bit of a deep dive. So we can't really say who our guests are going to be yet, partly because we're not 100% sure, but also because we don't want to give away, uh, give away the farm. But uh, do you want to mention some of the topics or some of yeah, the ideas so, that we've been batting around? Yeah. So um, the, the country's first fully comprehensive and accredited dual enrollment program with Southwest Tech, um, I think we know that one's going to come on. We do. And we'll talk about some of the... Um, challenges um, that we've seen and some of the things that have not yet come about that we're hoping for. We'll talk about the three-year bachelor's degree. um, And then there's just a whole list. I think we put down a list of of, um, 15 or 16. Yeah. And we'll talk about online. um, Right. And some of the innovations there. And um, it's going to be really quite an enjoyable time for us. Yeah. I'm I'm actually uh, quite looking forward to it and and as you mentioned we've some of these things that we've done we've done ourselves like the three year degree some we've done in partnership with other organizations like Southwest Tech and uh, uh, even though again we don't want to name names I'm sure that we'll have guests that will be well steeped in being able to give us both the positive and the negative uh, uh, outcomes of those things because. You know, we, we've been talking about this, and I, I bring this uh, analogy up regularly in my 
music technology classes, and I need to change analogies because I, this one's an old one now, but we've talked about the fact that um, for many years, uh, a staple of the corner uh, strip mall in every American city was a video rental store. I'm going to use the name Blockbuster Video just because most people um, recognize that name. And if you think back even 15 years ago, Blockbuster Video was an enormous company in 2005. And they, you know, they're, they're literally was, they were as ubiquitous as Starbucks is. And all it took was about 18 months of the red box to put them more or less out of business. And then all it took was about 18 months of Netflix finally figuring out what they wanted to do. And the red box was more or less out of business. So in the space of three years, we've seen two complete destructions of, of what uh, during their time were actually really quite innovative ideas. The idea of renting movies was during our young adulthood, a fairly new thing because VHS was new and then DVD was new. And to be able to go to a place and rent one was a nice way to spend a weekend. And then it became much more convenient to go to the gas station to get that same DVD from a box. And then it became much more convenient to stay home and just watch it on TV. And as the kids say, Netflix and chill. So my, my point here is that with every innovation that is that that we all agree is so great, there is a group of people or organizations or other things that very often will feel the fallout from that innovation, and they, you know, it's up to them how they react to that. But but there can be little question that innovation is very disruptive. And you, I know, one of your favorite business thinkers and education thinkers is Clayton Christensen. And he had a lot to say about that. Right. Um, he, he popularized the term disruptive innovation in his book, The, uh, the Innovator's Dilemma. Um, but what you see happening is, is that organizations, this is, this is an interesting thing for higher education. Because, um, and he's um, the co-author on a book about the disruptive university. Right. I listened to him give a presentation once where he said that higher education cannot innovate itself. It cannot um, fix itself or however he, whatever the word From the inside out. From the inside out. Yeah. That it takes an outside organization to force innovation. We're just so, we're just so steeped in tradition and um, everybody's been doing similar things for a very long time. And, you know, if you look at what part of what he said was, and you can see examples of this, but um, you know, like the American, I'm not an expert on this, so on, on American car manufacturing. Oh, okay. <laughs> but I think what happened is, is that you've got the American automobile companies that see these cheap foreign cars starting to be produced. And they say, I don't really don't care about those guys. They're producing low quality stuff. Let them sell low quality. We're more interested in the big, fancy, fast cars and and um, this is what Clayton Christensen talked about is is that you have established organizations someone comes in at the bottom of the market the established organizations say you can have it you know we're, we would much prefer sell 
the higher dollar items to the more sophisticated buyers. That's where the profits are. That's where the the status is. And so, Dotson, if you want to go ahead and sell that kind of crap, go ahead. Um, and then these companies that come in at the bottom of the market, they just slowly move up until they dominate. And uh, the American automobile companies couldn't reinvent themselves. It right. took some of these um, companies from Japan and elsewhere to force them and put them on a new path. And, and he predicted that higher education would not be able to um, be innovative. So I'm, I'm interested with that analogy because, because what happened was sort of a two-pronged thing. Not only was there um, Honda and Datsun and uh, Mazda that, that came over and began selling inexpensive cars, Subaru, other companies, but what what happened to really move the needle for American consumers was when gasoline prices spiked as a result of the unrest in the Middle East and the the uh, OPEC oil crisis. So so there was there was this group of companies that had been making fuel efficient cars that Americans I think had largely been ignoring, and then all of a sudden it made great sense to buy a fuel uh, a fuel efficient car at, rather than a 6 mile a gallon um you know car from Detroit and and the same thing i think that that same two pronged thing is a little bit what we face in higher education right now there are there are outside forces and we've named them in previous podcasts but covid-19 has actually given us a giant shove forward it's that second thing that has forced us to right. really come to grips with the way that we deliver i mean literally the way we do everything we do virtually yeah and and um there's a wonderful example of this in higher education if you if you look at what was the reaction that general motors had to dotson it's like i know this is low class low quality stuff it's the exact same reaction that the american universities had to organizations like the University of Phoenix, low low class, low quality kind of stuff, but then a lot of uh, big, prestigious universities have been hiring all those people away from the University of Phoenix, right, to help do the same thing because somebody woke up and, as you said, the accelerator in COVID nineteen is that. Wow, did anybody notice that there's more than thirty six million Americans who started college but didn't finish? And who can't leave their jobs or leave their small towns or wherever they are and go to school? There's 36 million that, that um, many of whom would benefit from a college yeah. degree, and we're not offering anything to help them until along come some disruptors. And now I think uh, it's fair to say that probably I don't know what the number is, but almost every single university is offering some degree or another online. Yes. including Harvard. And, um, and I, anyway, it's, it's, it's really quite fascinating to see how it is. But that's Clayton Christensen. So he was a professor of management at Harvard University who happened to die earlier this year. Yeah, that's in January. Right. He was going to be on our show. He was. Um, but then his health deteriorated and, and it just didn't happen. But uh, we would have had him on our show a year ago. Yeah. It was uh, we were we were both looking forward to that, and uh, I'm 
sorry he was unable to join us, and obviously. So some of the innovation um, is difficult for the culture. You know, it's just it's just difficult. Um, that's not who we want to be. Um, we don't want to be like that, so we're going to resist this disruption that's coming our way. Um, that's that's one of the challenges. Another one is it's just hard to do. It is hard to do. Um, and Plato opened up the first uh, university. I don't know if you could call it a university or not, but I'm calling it one. Plato's Academy. <laughs> right. Um, in... Um, See, Socrates died 399 B.C., and uh, Plato took over, started Plato's Academy. Uh, then Aristotle started uh, his Lyceum in Athens. That was, in some ways, I think you could call those the birth of the university. And from then till now, it's been people showing up and um, speaking, teaching um, in, fa- in person, and when you've got uh, 2,400 years of momentum, it's, it's actually kind of hard to, to see something different. Yeah. Um, but, but even Harvard's giving out online degrees. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That, that tells you how significant of an innovation it is that even Harvard's giving out these degrees. Um. But here's so so part of what we're going to talk about um, this year is the difficulties of innovation, and um, um, if you look at the private sector, we had last year we had a couple pretty neat entrepreneurs on our show, right? Rich Christensen and Alan Hall, yeah, yeah. very successful entrepreneurs, good friends. Um, but we're talking about innovation within the public sector. It's very different. Um, and there are some ways that it's easier to be entrepreneurial in the public sector, and there are some ways where it's much more difficult. So one of the ways that it's easier is that public employees have a salary, and if they're innovative, they're innovating with someone else's money. <laughs> That's right. Now, sometimes entrepreneurs are, interv- are, are doing it with other people's money too. Right. But at the end of the day... Um, Steve, if you and I try some creative thing and it's not successful, um, our paycheck is the same and we go home and everything continues on. As long as we haven't broken any laws, we still have our jobs. And um, the culture that we live in is a culture where we, uh, we encourage innovation so nobody gets punished for failing. You know, it's like, oh, right. good, good try, good right. try. Um, but you still get groceries. So in the in the private sector, um, you're at risk, great personal risk. That's that makes it really hard. And whether it's your money or venture capital from someone else, um, there is yeah. risk of of not getting groceries. Yeah, my dad was um, a researcher and was doing a lot of grants, and he always felt that he was one failure away from unemployment, even though he was a college professor, hmm. because it was the grants that covered his salary and his programs, and, and he just always felt that. So we're talking about some generalizations here. Um, but he had migraines and stressed and would work every night late um, to try to make sure that he was successful in some of these big projects. 
So there is stress and there is worries if you're um, being creative and entrepreneurial in the public sector. But it's a little bit of a less worry, I think, than the private. That's one thing. Another thing is that in the public sector, there are really no rewards. You propose change of any form, and there's typically not much in the way of a reward. If you're kind of in an entry-level position or moving up and you do something really creative, um, you know that you're going to irritate somebody and you're going to make somebody happy. So as long as the right person is happy and the right person is irritated, then you might get a promotion. Right. But we don't pay bonuses. Nope, there's no year-end bonus. We don't give salary increases for people that are creative. We don't give a bonus to anybody like that. But as you move up the ladder and get to the top, so you're at the point where you can be the most creative and influence change the most, it seems like in the public sector that you also tend to irritate more people. And as we say in politics, um, friends come and go, but enemies accumulate. And so um, you... My experience has been that the higher up in the ladder someone goes, the more likely they are to resist change, be very conservative and careful, um, because it's almost as if the goal becomes um, keeping that job. <laughs> right. Well, <laughs> How's I, that for me? Yeah. No, you, <laughs> you and I have had that conversation before that, that uh, working with you is much more like working in the private sector in that uh, you are willing to take on much greater risk than others uh, of your uh, same type, well, in my experience. Bo- both you and I have been um, in the public sector for quite a while. You right. longer than me. Actually... Not necessarily. Yeah, we both have. I've been in the been private, in and around the private yeah, sector too. I was uh, totally in the private sector for nine years. The public for the rest. Um, but I've sure seen a lot of people um, in the public sector who resist change simply because they're trying to keep it safe. Yep. And certainly in politics, um, it's. Uh, it's hard to be very, very creative and innovative because every time you do something, it upsets somebody. Right. There's no way you can make a change without somebody being disrupted. And the more change you do, the more people's lives have been uh, affected. And the more that happens, the more people there are to um, challenge challenge you or to, to try to vote you out of office or whatever right. it might be. Right. Um, but anyway, it's... That, that's just that's the practical realities. The practical realities of innovation in the public sector is in higher education or in government is extra hard because you either are running for office or you're at an at-will position um, without job security. And, um, and every innovation is frustrating for somebody. Every single one. I was talking to somebody the other day and, about this and... Um, anyway, it's just, it's just interesting. I, I think everything we do, um, in the sense of making change creates winners and losers within the organization. Right. 
And um, so the momentum is always against change. So when you don't have incentives, like bonuses, right? Um, it's easier to innovate in the private sector. That's the bottom line. The bottom line is we're going to be talking about public sector innovation this year. The good, the bad, the challenges, what's gone well, and overlaid in all that is is we're talking about public sector innovation, and I think that's where it's the most difficult. I agree, and uh, and you and I have been on both sides of that. <laughs> so we have we have some personal experience with uh, uh, both the ups and the downs, right? That's right, and and we're old enough we can talk about some of the downs. Yep, yep. Um, but we both have a few singed hairs. No, for sure. <laughs> Well, that's going to be fun. I'm I uh, I'm really looking forward to this year, President. And uh, we'll we'll be back for our listeners who are tuning in. We're going to be back for our regular Monday release schedule. We're also this year going to have, we think, some live podcasts um, that will take place as uh, both podcasts and campus forums uh, on various topics of importance. We think one will be a COVID-related one. Uh, with uh, with our director of health from down here. But we also think that we'll have some stimulating discussions about uh, about free speech and uh, some other things that we'll, where we'll actually invite live input from people in, if not a studio audience, then a, a virtual studio audience. Yeah. Um, how do we create a, um, a diverse and inclusive uh, campus? Well... Allowing um, First Amendment rights. How do we do those kind of things? We've got yeah. we've got some fun topics over the course of the year, and we'll see how we can weave those in. So our regular Monday podcasts will be about uh, innovation, highs and lows, and we'll have some uh, some special topics that we'll insert periodically along the way that uh, that seem to be uh, that that are clear and presently needed to be discussed, and then we'll also. Uh, um, have somewhere in here a hundredth podcast episode um, where we uh, invite our listeners to tell us what their favorite episodes from the past have been, and uh, we'll play a few clips from those things. It's hard to believe that we're sneaking up on a hundred episodes, but we are. And uh, so, anyway, that it's going to be a really fun year. Yeah, and let's say this: um, as we schedule this out, um, we don't have complete control over everything that we're doing, because some of it we're hoping to get help from others that would be able to speak better, right? Um, more directly at some of these things than us. Um, but if there's uh, a particular innovation that any of our listeners would like, please send it in to us. Let us know. Yeah. we. In fact, we always love to hear from our listeners. And our listener base is actually, I think, maybe larger than some people would think. It's not... Uh, just your wife and mine. Um, <laughs> your wife is still listening? <laughs> she is. Uh, every morning as she exercises. <laughs> yeah. um, it, my email is wyatt at edu. If you have a topic that you wish that we would weave into this year, uh, send it to us. Or you can send it to Steve. Uh, you can. I'm Stephen Meredith at suu.edu. Stephen with a V. And... Uh, Anyway, we always we always look forward to hearing from our listeners. 
So that's the year. That's what's coming up. And this will conclude this episode, which is our introductory episode for the 2021 academic year. President, thanks for the stimulating conversation, and this should be a blast. This will be fun. And um, I, I do want to add something, because pieces of this, as we've described it, are um, less than encouraging. There are real difficult challenges um, to innovating in higher education or education generally, the public sector generally. You and I have both um, had the opportunity to have our um, hair singed a couple times mm-hmm. each. And we've both had the opportunity to do some things that we're um, just delighted with. Uh, and, and I've had a chance to work with some wonderful people. Um, most of the time, those that resist change are wonderful people. Um, but it's that paradigm, right? I mean, it's, sometimes it's just hard to see the possibilities um, until you're forced to. I think that's what Clayton Christensen was saying, was is that when we're inside blockbusters, we, we can't see right. that Netflix is coming. We just don't see it. We're, 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 we listen to our friends. Um, we don't see it. So it's all good intentioned, good people. But sometimes um, that forms the greatest resistance to change. You've been listening to Solutions for Higher Education, a podcast featuring Scott L. Wyatt, the president of Southern Utah University in Cedar City, Utah. We hope that you've enjoyed listening to this introductory podcast, and we hope you enjoy listening to the rest of them that are coming up. Thanks so much. We'll see you again soon. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Solutions for Higher Education. To subscribe to this podcast, please visit www.suu.edu forward slash President's Podcast, where you will find both the audio and a written transcript of today's podcast. The original music for this podcast was composed by Jack Barton, a master's degree student in music technology at SUU. For more information about Southern Utah University, please visit www.suu.edu.